Hi there, my name is Emma Edelman, and you're listening to Tangible Grace, my story of hope. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode two of Tangible Grace. This is my personal story of hope amidst struggles, and uh, I'm really glad that you tuned in today. If you haven't already heard episode one, you may want to do that just to kind of get some background on me and, and where I came from and to hear a little bit more about what this podcast entails. Um, but if you've already listened, then thanks for coming back, and uh, we're going to get started here uh, right away. God doesn't come and go. God lasts. He's creator of all you can see or imagine. He doesn't get tired out, doesn't pause to catch his breath, and he knows everything inside and out. He energizes those who get tired, gives fresh strength to dropouts. For even young people tire and drop out. Young folk in their prime stumble and fall, but those who wait upon God can get fresh strength. They spread their wings and soar like eagles. They run and don't get tired. They walk and don't lag behind. That is taken from Isaiah chapter 40, uh, verses about 28 through 31. Um, And that right there says so much. Because so often when we falter, when we stumble, when we turn our backs on what we know is good and right and and what we should be doing, it's when we're young. And that's what happened to me. And I am absolutely not unique in that at all. So many young people are um, distracted or tempted, think they know better. And that's exactly what happened to me. And even back then, there were no cell phones, there was no internet, there was none of that stuff. But somehow I still managed to stumble and fall very, very hard. And the the grace in all of that is that God is always there and he sees it. He knows when you stumble and he picks you right back up again. You just have to let him. And that is the key. So we left off episode one with me being in 11th grade in a private Christian school that was very, very tiny. Um, Actually, in my 11th grade class, I want to say there were about 11 or 12 total in my 11th grade and about the same in my 12th grade. Um, But I loved it. I thrived on it. You knew absolutely everybody. Um, There was there was good fellowship Um, bonding. Of course, there were also issues because you did know everybody that caused problems from time to time. But I loved high school. In fact, I loved school, period. I'm one of those weirdos. But it was in my 11th grade year that I got distracted from God. I had been raised, as I mentioned in episode one, been raised in the church, in the Salvation Army Church. And I knew who God was. I felt like I had a relationship with God. Um, But I made choices that caused me to 
turn away from him. And just the smallest, smallest things that I did that I knew were not right in his eyes led to bigger and worse things down the road. And so just a real, real big shout out here. If anyone is listening who is young, who's in high school, maybe even just in just into college, be careful. Yes, you want to live your life. You want to have a wonderful life and party and have lots of fun with your friends and all that. And I feel like there's room for that to happen. But be careful because if you allow that lifestyle and allow those choices to take over before long, that's, that's what you're going to believe is right. And that's what you're going to always choose. And you're going to leave what is truly right behind. So I cannot actually tell you the first time that I smoked a cigarette. I'm sure there's someone out there who remembers my first cigarette who was with me, but I have, I really do not know. I smoked for a very long time and the first cigarette I guess was not very memorable. Um, but it was good apparently because I did start smoking. Uh, like many teenagers, it started, I do, I do know it started very slow. Um, I didn't have access to buy cigarettes or money for that matter. Um, but I do remember, you know, smoking here or there, social gatherings, things like that. Um, and it wasn't until a little bit later that it became a true addiction when I was smoking uh, almost two packs of cigarettes a day. Uh, I also don't actually recall my first alcoholic drink. Isn't it sad? You know, I feel like those are trophies that you can put up on your, your shelf. I remember when, you know, the first drink I ever took. Nope, I don't got nothing. But again, I do remember that my junior year was really when I started to drink more. Um, I do know that I liked it <laughs> and I liked the way it made me feel. And when there was an opportunity to drink, then I was going to drink. Um, and then along with those things came drugs. And my first encounter with drugs, again, I cannot tell you the exact day or time or any of that, but I know it was marijuana. I know that I smoked marijuana. And I wasn't real sure about it, to be honest. And even to this day, as many drugs as I've done, marijuana was never my first choice because I did not like the way it made me feel so out of control. Um, although I guess that's true of most of the drugs, but for some reason it just, it didn't, it didn't make me, it didn't take me to a happy place. It, it always kind of left me feeling blah and sleepy and all of that. However, as a teenager, that didn't stop me doing it. So a little bit later, I also experimented with um, acid and I can recall numerous times getting these little tiny tabs of acid. They're almost like, you know, uh, the Listerine, um, like things that you can put on your tongue and they dissolve into your tongue. I don't even know if they make them anymore, but acid is kind of like that only a tiny, like tiny little thing. You would just put it under your tongue or wherever. And I did that pretty frequently. Um, and that was something I remember being on acid. I remember, I remember tripping, which is exactly what you do. You, you feel, 
you know, happy and nothing is real and you could do anything. And gosh, that's a scary thought right now. But back then it was wonderful. And so you then you would combine things. You would, you know, obviously be smoking, you would be drinking, you would be on acid, and sometimes you would do marijuana as well. And so it became this big um, kind of, you know, cluster of all these different things. Um, again, it wasn't a daily thing. It was just whenever it was available and social gatherings, things like that, um, initially. And uh, this went on through my senior year as well. And the people that I hung around with um, definitely did not discourage it. In fact, they were doing it right there along with me. Um, again, if you didn't listen to the first episode, I'm just going to put this out there that I'm not going to use any names cause it's just not, it's not relevant. Um, unless they're absolutely pertinent to my story, there's no need to put names out there. But you know, the people that I was hanging around with for the most part were, uh, doing these things. Now that's school friends, uh, not army friends though. Salvation army friends were different. Um, not to say they didn't experiment with stuff too, but you know, most of them had their head in the game and were focused on most of my friends back then were already gone to college, to be honest. So I kind of was out there peddling for my life by myself because a lot of my really good friends had already moved on to college. But, uh, with my school friends, I definitely liked to party. We used to go to different people's houses my house where I lived with my parents, I had the basement and it was all decked out, um, kind of goth kind of colors, black and white. And I don't know, I was crazy back then. Um, but I had a door, the, the an entrance door from the outside into my room or close to my room. And so, you know, my friends would come over through the back and my parents wouldn't even necessarily know people were even there half the time. Because uh, either they weren't there or they just didn't, it was late at night, they didn't know. Um, yeah, I really hope my parents don't listen to this. No, kidding. They believe me. They know. Um, I do recall vividly one day my mom coming down, she may not remember this, but coming downstairs to my room um, and asking what the smell was. And we had just been smoking a joint of marijuana and um, I told her it was incense. Yeah. Okay. So (laughs) I thought I was so smart. Uh, The other part of this is obviously because when you smoke, right, people know this, when you smoke, you smell. Of course, when you smoke, usually you're in denial of that because you don't smell it because you're around it all the time. It just becomes a part of who you are. But other people who don't smoke, for them, it's pretty awful. And I only know that now that I've quit smoking. Because for years, like in the beginning, when my parents didn't know I was smoking, I would, you know, come home and smell like an ashtray. And they would ask me if I'd been smoking and I would tell them no. I went to Waffle House or, you know, I went to some place where people were smoking. Back then, you could smoke just about anywhere. Um, And then eventually, when they found out I did smoke, uh, they would just always tell me that I smelled awful and to go sit somewhere else or go outside or whatever, change your clothes, whatever. And I used to think, come on, it's not that bad. Like I don't smell it. Right. Uh, I quit smoking. And the first time I was around someone who did smoke like a heavy smoker, I could not believe how bad it smelled. Like that's enough right there for me to never want to smoke again. Pretty crazy. But yeah, I did do things like that 
um, to my parents, you know. And I mean, I don't, again, I don't think this is a unique situation. Kids will make up stories uh, to cover things that they know they're not supposed to be doing. And that's what I did a lot. I would uh, tell them all kinds of stories to cover up the activities that I was doing. Um, unfortunately, they trusted me. Well, unfortunately or fortunately, they trusted me. And um, I'm grateful for their trust. I feel terrible now at how badly, you know, I, I made up stories. But um, they did trust me. I never had a curfew. Uh, but I never really abused time either. I mean, I wasn't like a come home at four o'clock every morning kind of person. I, I generally was home at a reasonable hour, at least when I was in, in high school. Uh, so, you know, I, I was very independent as far as, you know, where I went, what I did, who I was with, and my schedule um, from from pretty early on in high school. So anyway... Um, I'm going to apologize now. I have my dog sitting next to me. <laughs> if he barks, I'm sorry, but I don't have anywhere to put him while I'm recording. So anyway, um, <laughs> things that you don't want to happen on your podcast. Um, so yeah, where was I? See, this is what happens. Um, I literally smoked cigarettes for 12 years. I quit after I was married to my um, now ex-husband, uh, we had been married for about a year, maybe just a little less, and we were trying to get pregnant, and I heard that in order to get pregnant, it was better for you, obviously, not to smoke, but also it just helped if you weren't smoking. It would help you have better chances of getting pregnant, and so I quit cold turkey. We actually had a bet that that I could do it before he could and vice versa, and I won, but... Um, and I quit smoking, and a month later I was pregnant. I don't know if that was, you know, because of that or whatever, but I'll take it. Um, but I definitely smoked for a long time. And towards the end, I was smoking close to two packs of cigarettes a day. Not only is that awful just for your health in general, but the money. Like, to this day, I look back at all the things I did and all the drugs that I did and all the stupid stuff and all of that. And I cannot figure out where the heck I got money from to do all this stuff. I don't know. Maybe someone else can, can tell us that. Um, but anyway, so when I graduated from high school, I graduated when I was, I had just turned 17. Literally a month before I turned 17 in May, I graduated in June. So I was very young out of high school. But I thought I knew everything. Uh, I had been accepted to a couple of colleges in the Atlanta area, but didn't really want to go to college. Knew I probably should. Um, so I went to a, um, like a two-year college up in Gwinnett County, uh, or at least I registered there. Got myself a little job at um, PetSmart, actually, and um, started pretending to be a grown-up when I was just 17. Uh, unfortunately, that didn't go real well for me <laughs> because while I was working at PetSmart, I met a girl who became my friend who decided to, we, together that we would move in together. My parents, um, again, a lot of trust, 
a lot of, you know, I think, I don't know if it was more, maybe this is what is supposed to happen in America. Cause obviously we hadn't been here that long or, you know, or if they just believed I could make it or I don't know what it was, but I moved out. I moved in with this girl and, um, we partied all the time, all the time. Um, we would have people over at our, at our apartment, um, all the time. We were experimenting in all kinds of things. Um, I will, I mean, I was sexually active, um, just all kinds of stuff was happening and, um, definitely made some incredibly poor decisions during that, that period of time, which actually didn't last that long. And it's kind of funny too. I was thinking about this the other day that when I go back and look at all the different stages of my life within this kind of this period of just darkness, everything that happened like kind of happened quickly. Like it, it was just a few months here or there. It wasn't like this long stretched out years and years. It was pieces. And then you tie them all together and you get this period of time that was just absolute chaos in my life. Um, so anyhow, uh, I basically, I dropped out of school, decided that that was not necessary and, um, started working for a telemarketing company, which was not paying much money. I was also still working at PetSmart, um, and just met all these different people. Now, some of these people don't get me wrong. Some of these people were amazing and I made some great friends during that period. Um, however, uh, I was definitely not on the right track. Now, another important part of this part of my life is that when I graduated from high school, I turned my back on the church. I decided that I wanted to live the, the partying lifestyle, and my church did not believe that that was right. They did not accept that. And so I turned my back on it, and I just said, forget it. You know, this is what I want to do. This is who I want to be. And so I spent... Um, a lot of energy getting away from the church, which seems ridiculous, but I cut a lot of people out of my life because I didn't want to listen to them telling me that I needed to be at church. Um, a lot of my friends were, I don't want to say they were goody goodies cause they weren't, you know, everyone has flaws, but <laughs> compared to what I was doing, my friends were like angels. And, um, I just felt like, I think more than anything, I felt like they would just be so ashamed and so sad and, you know, disappointed in me. And I didn't want that. And so I, I cut them out and I very rarely talked to to those friends. And so I continued this lifestyle of partying and, and what have you. Well, then inevitably again, me and this girl who had not known each other for not even a year, um, had a massive fight. I had a friend who had children they would, she would bring them to the apartment, and um, I can't, found out that my roommate at the time was actually dealing drugs, and one of the kids found some of the drugs, and that was it. Like, you know, yeah, we could have fun, we could party and all that, but now you're you're making it dangerous for, for me, because I don't want to get caught with this stuff, for my friends who, you know, don't have anything to do with it and whatnot. So, anyways... Uh, the result was that I moved out and moved back in with my parents. 
that became a pretty interesting thing because that happened a lot. <laughs> I moved, I cannot tell you how many times I've moved back in with my parents. Maybe they can, maybe they have like a tally going. They may even have a side bet. Like I bet she moves back in again before, you know, she's 50. I don't know. <laughs> Um, but anyway, thankfully, again, my parents, uh, so loving, so trusting, let me back into their home. Um, however, <laughs> that that was not necessarily a good thing because it wasn't too long after that that I uh, really, truly believe is when I really started getting addicted to alcohol. I was drinking nearly every day. Um, many of my friends didn't even know it. I was hiding it um, because, again, I didn't want to be that person, but I needed that to take away the pain and the confusion and all that. Um, somehow or another, somewhere along the line, I met uh, a guy who, and I honestly, this is just, this is what I was talking about in the first episode. My memory, I remember so much stuff, but it's the fine details that I tend to forget. Like, I can't remember how I met this guy, but we were, we were boyfriend and girlfriend for two years. So somehow or another we met and he was not with the Salvation Army. He was not, it must've been through a friend of a friend. I don't know. Someone out there who's listening might be able to tell me and remind me, but I met this guy who was not good for me. Shocking, right? Um, and he was had been arrested multiple times for many things. And I guess I was just attracted to that rebellious, um, you know, thug kind of guy. And so we started dating or whatever you want to call it. And we would do drugs together all the time, drinking together, smoking, all that stuff. Um, to the point that I, I probably spent more time at his, his house than I did at my own house. Um, there was, uh, there were a lot of times when, uh, we would just kind of run the streets, literally walking around the streets. I did have jobs in between all this. So I did have some money coming in. I worked at a hotel for a while. I worked um, I actually worked at Salvation Army for part of that. Uh, I had different jobs. Like it's so hard. This is again, where it gets really cloudy for me. I do know I had jobs and I did have money coming in, but it wasn't enough money. And he was working some, but not enough to feed our habits. And so at some point we decided it would be a great idea to start selling drugs. That part comes a little bit later because actually I'm skipping over another important part because um, at one point, this is about at least probably 18 months after I graduated from high school and me and this guy had been dating for several months and uh, he, I get a call that he has been put in jail been arrested I don't recall what the charge was for I just knew that he had been arrested so I needed to figure out how to get him out of jail 
well, this has happened before. I'd bailed him out before. Usually it was very minor things, a little bit of money. And, you know, between my uh, his mom and his brothers and me, we were always able to get him out. But for some reason, this time it was more money. There was a reason that we just couldn't get him out right away. And so I kind of took that opportunity because I knew he was going to be in jail for a while. And I said to myself, I've got to clean up. Um, I'm making poor, poor choices. You know, I, I have the the world in front of me. Like I have so much potential. I got to do something. How do I fix this? How do I turn my life around? So there was a glimmer of hope right there that I just felt. And I don't know at that point, I don't think I was, it was necessarily me talking to God. Obviously it was him working through me. I just didn't know it, but there was just this little glimmer of hope that said, you know, fix it, do something, get on the right path. And so, um, and I'm sure, again, that stems from my upbringing and in the church and with my family. So I made the decision to go back to college. Only this time I wanted to go to a Christian college where a couple of my friends went. And it was, it's up in uh, Toccoa, Georgia. It's actually called Toccoa Falls College. And so, um, I applied, got accepted. My parents were very happy. Um, I think all of us thought this is good. This is, this is what we do. Like this is, this is how I get back on track. So I got up there. Um, my roommate was a good friend of mine from the Salvation Army. And so, uh, was in all my classes and everything and everything was good. Um, I did still smoke. And you were not allowed to smoke on campus. So I used to have to go to my car and smoke or drive off campus and smoke and then come back, which was really an inconvenience. (laughs) Let's face it. Come on. But, you know, you do what you got to do. I don't think I was drinking hardly at all during that time. I don't remember drinking. Again, I could someone else might know better than I do, but I don't recall because I don't see how I could have, to be honest. And initially, I was doing good, going to my classes, getting my work done, etc. Um, then my boyfriend got out of jail. He had his court hearing, and they let him out. And this is only like maybe a month or so in. And this is just to put, if you want a timestamp on this, I was in jail when the OJ stuff happened. Like when, I mean, sorry, I'm not in jail, in school. When the OJ stuff happened, um, when, you know, he did the slow speed chase and all that kind of stuff. Um, I was at school during that. So I don't know, is that 90? I don't know when that was. That's where I was. (laughs) So anyway, um, I am trying to think where I was. See, I get distracted. This is what happens, people. Um, So anyway, I uh, was in school. He got out of jail. And immediately, somehow or another, I don't even know how we connected because back then we don't have cell phones. Maybe I was calling his family to check on him. I don't know. But anyway, they told me, he told me he's out of jail. So it's still fresh. And I'm, I wasn't expecting him to be out that quickly. And I go back to Atlanta. About an hour and a half drive to where he lives from Tacoa Falls. And so... I go back to Atlanta, drink, do drugs, etc. Drive back up to school the next morning, go to class. 
after class, go back to Atlanta. I had classes Monday, Wednesday, Friday. I didn't have classes Tuesday and Thursday. So I would just not be at school Tuesdays and Thursdays. The issue was that this school had a chapel service every single day, and it was mandatory to be there. And if you weren't there, you know, you could get in trouble. And at that point, I didn't care. So I was making it to my classes, skipping chapel on the days I wasn't there. And, of course, they take attendance and all that. It eventually caught up with me. I got a notice saying that if I missed any more chapel services, I was going to be on academic suspension. Um, and at that point, I think I was just so furious that that you would force me to go to chapel. This is a Christian school, mind you. But I was so mad that they would force me to go to these chapel services, especially on days when I didn't even have other classes. Like, what? Why would you do that? Like, I'm not going to go get up or be here when I don't have to. Anyway, ultimately, before the semester was out, I had already made up my mind that I was not going to finish. But before that happened came my first real run-in with the law. Um, and... That was a traumatic experience because my parents had no idea that I was going back and forth to Atlanta all the time from school. No idea. In fact, I don't even know how I had money for gas. Granted, gas was a lot cheaper back then. But anyway, they had no clue that was happening. So imagine this. It's late one evening. I will, I don't know what day of the week it was, but it's late one evening and you get a call from the Clayton County Police Department, which is south of Atlanta. My parents live north of Atlanta, so and Toccoa Falls is way further north. So now we're talking about past, like, where I lived, all the way down south of Atlanta. You get a call to say that your daughter is in trouble with the police, and you need to come right away. Now, here's the thing. The police never told my parents what the trouble was. So immediately they think, oh my gosh, like she's been in a car accident or, you know, something like this. They have no idea what they're about to walk into. Well, here's what they walked into. That day, my boyfriend and I decided to go to the mall. And this is, again, a guy who has a, an extensive criminal record for multiple things. And shoplifting is one of those things. And so we go to the mall, and I I don't know what, why, because he never really ever told me why, but for some reason he decided that that was the night he was going to steal a bunch of clothes. And what he did was he got all these different clothes, jeans, shirts, I don't know. It was absurd, the amount of clothes he had. But anyway, and he went into a changing room and put all these clothes on on top of each other. Now, granted, this guy is skinny. He's he's little. He's not a big guy at all. Uh, he's not very tall either, but he put layers of clothes on, okay? And I'm just walking around the store. I have no idea that this is happening, okay? I may have been a little intoxicated. I don't know. But I have no idea that this is happening. So we start to walk out the store. And we, like, I was in a different spot. And we kind of met in the middle, like, by the exit to go to the car. And 
I see him looking at me strange and he, he like gets close to me. He's like, run to the car. And I'm like, what? Run, run to the car. Why? He's like, run to the car. So of course, why wouldn't I? So I just start running and we both run and we jump in the car and like not even a second later, I'm putting the car in reverse about to back out. And there are three cop cars behind my car blocking us in. And I just turned and I looked at him and I said, what the blank did you do? Okay. Because really, (laughs) what is going on? Well, before the cops managed to get to the doors, like they're still in their cop cars. He produces out of his pocket of his real pants. He produces a bag of, of marijuana like a decent sized bag of marijuana. And he's like, here, take this. And he gives it to me and gets out the car because he is a felon. And so if he has any drugs on him, then he's going away for a long time. So he hands it to me. Well, what am I supposed to do with it? I mean, this is all happening. You got to understand this is happening in split seconds right like I have no idea I'm just like oh my god what do I do I threw it under my chair my driver's seat because I didn't know I it's too big to swallow I mean I wouldn't have done that anyway but it's too big to swallow so I'm just like okay put it underneath the chair and I stayed in the driver's seat because like I still don't know what happened like I don't understand why there are cops like are they here for the drugs I don't know why are they here so then they take me out of the car too. And they, they like pat me down. They want, they want to search my car. And I'm thinking, this is it. This is it. So they start in the trunk and now I'm again commuting between school and my boyfriend's house. So I have tons of clothes and stuff in the back of my car because, you know, I'm not staying at school the whole time. So they're rummaging through all my stuff and I'm thinking, okay, this is okay because They're just going through the trunk. We should be fine. And I'm watching. There's another cop with him, with my boyfriend on the other side of the car. And they're literally peeling off clothes (laughs) off of him. And he's swearing up and down. He did not steal these clothes. He probably had on like five shirts and three pairs of pants. And I'm, and this is like, this isn't, it's like maybe October, September. It's not like, cold you wouldn't have to have that many layers on um but he's literally they're peeling off he's telling them that he didn't steal them there are tags still on them you can see the i can see the tags and i'm just shaking my head like are you kidding me what are you (laughs) you're an idiot is what i'm thinking that's what i'm thinking you stupid idiot like why why would you do this right um so anyway they put him in the back of the car Then they bring out a dog and the dog starts searching the car. And sure enough, the dog finds the marijuana. Come to find out that because it's my car, I automatically get charged with possession of drugs because it's my car. It doesn't matter. And he even told the cops that he was the one that gave it to me in the end because he didn't want me to have to, you know, go to jail or anything like that. And so, but the cops are like, nope, it's, you know, it's your car. That's your possession. You get charged for that. 
and then it's and I guess that's true across the board. Like if if there's an open container in your car, even if it's the guy in the back seat, it's your car. Like you you have to be responsible for your car. So they put me, um, they don't handcuff me, but they put me in the back of a detective's car, which is a little bit different because there's no, um, what do you call it? The, the cage, like there's nothing, it's just like a regular car. I'm just sitting in the back of a car with a detective. My boyfriend's in another car. Um, and I'm just sitting there asking like, well, what's going to happen? And so they're getting all my details and he's like, well, we're going to have to call your parents. Um, or he wants to know who can come get me, who can come get my car. Cause they're going to take me to the jail. And I'm now I'm like, what? I'm furious at this point. And so they want, they want someone else to come get my car. They think I've been smoking weed and I'm high and this and that. And I don't think I was, I may have been, I don't really remember, but, um, so I'm giving them my parents details and, and I'm thinking, <laughs> Honestly, I'm thinking, okay, maybe I would rather go to jail than my parents come because I know they're going to be so upset and so angry. But anyway, one of the most um, probably, well, one of the most absurd things about the whole, that whole situation, other than the fact that my boyfriend was an idiot, um, is that the detective in the car the entire time is flirting with me. Uh, and not just like casual, like full on flirting with me. And he's changing the channels on the radio for me. Do you like this song? What do you want to listen to? What kind of music do you listen to? Blah, blah, blah. What do you like to listen to, you know, when you're out on a date? Blah, blah, blah. And then he's like just constantly flirting with me. And I'm thinking, it's like, this is not real life. Like, this is not real. I'm being set up. This is not real. Um, until my parents pull in and I'm thinking, okay, yeah, this is real. This is real. So they took, they drove my boyfriend away in the back of a police car. Didn't know where he was going, obviously. Um, and, uh, I have to go my, I drive home with my dad, my mom, my mom who hates driving on the expressway. We're in Clayton County again. Uh, which is way south from where they live, good 45 minutes to an hour from where they live. Uh, my mom has to follow us all the way home. I'm pretty sure I didn't see now. This is, again, sketchy. I'm almost positive I rode with my dad, and he drove my car because I had a stick shift car. And so um, he drove my car home. They So obviously they released me, but they did give me a ticket. They gave me um, um, misdemeanor charge for possession of drugs uh, under a certain amount and, um, what I do remember is my dad telling me that I could not leave the house that they, he was, they were taking my car away basically for a while that, um, I could not have any contact with my boyfriend. And I mean, you know, you have to remember my parents thought I was at school for one, and then they have to deal with this. Like, I'm with this guy who's shoplifting. I have drugs in my car. Like, I can't even imagine. <laughs> Cannot even imagine what my parents were thinking during all of that. Um, but basically, they told me, you know, that's it. You're you're staying at home. I don't want to say grounded because I don't think they ever grounded me. But they basically said, you're staying at home. And we're not going to give you a way to leave. And what's ridiculous is that in my mind... 
that set off triggers and flags. And immediately I start thinking about how I can leave the house because now I don't want to be confined. I don't want to be punished, even though I did wrong back then in my mind, I don't want to be punished. And so as soon as we got home, I called a good friend, asked her to come get me. And she came and got me. I snuck out the house and she took me to my boyfriend's house. Um, gosh, yeah, it's, it's really, it's actually kind of crazy as I'm sitting here speak, telling you guys all this because it's bringing back more and more memories. But, and I'm just wondering now, you know, I'm a parent now. And I always said before I ever had a child, you know, gosh, I hope they don't turn out like I did as far as that part of my life. Um, because I cannot imagine what I put my parents through. And this, this was nothing compared to what's to come. Uh, but anyway, ultimately, I ended up going back to school for a little bit while he was in jail. He got out of jail again. And that's when um, I left school for good. Uh, and we decided, uh, it was over Christmas, we decided that we could uh, start making money by selling drugs, that that would be the best option. Um, I did get a job before we started doing that, but it did not work out well for me. And so that was like the last resort. He had already started selling. And I'm not going to say too much about all of that because that really should be the next episode. But, um, you know, I was working real jobs, if you will, in between all of this stuff. Um, but the end result was eventually we were both selling drugs. So that's just a little snippet of, what, a year and a half, two years or so um, of my life to that point. And already you can see that I'm uh, not doing well. Uh, I have addictions to alcohol, to cigarettes, and doing a lot of drugs, and not even the hard stuff yet. And I'm mixed up with the wrong crowd, for sure. I'm making really, really poor decisions, um, which many more come after that. And, you know, I want, again, for people to understand the reason I'm telling this story, my story, is because despite all of the stuff that I went through and all of the stupid, stupid stuff that I did, um, you know, God was always there. He never left my side. And, uh, later on in, in another episode further down the road, um, have an incredible example of how blind I was, but how that didn't matter to God. And I want to make sure that through me telling this story, that, People understand that it doesn't matter what you're going through. There's no, like, there's no point of no return when it comes to God. You always have the option to turn back 
or, or go to him for the first time for that matter and just fall on your knees and beg for forgiveness. And you don't even have to beg. Like you just have to ask and he's going to give it to you instantly because he loves you and you are his child. And that is such an incredibly powerful thing. Um, and sometimes it is hard to grasp that. I mean, it really is. Uh, even as a, a parent now, I look at my own son and, you know, I love him to pieces and, and I can't think of a thing that would make me not want to be around him and not want to love him. But I'm still human. And there could be something, right, that could just be like, okay, enough is enough. You've crossed the line, whatever that might be. But God doesn't do that to us. God is there constantly and no matter what. Um, I want to leave you with my theme verse again, my life verse again. And I'm going to do it every, every episode because it's so important. And, and it's something that everybody, again, can grasp onto and just, just take for themselves because this applies to every single person. Um, my favorite translation or version of it is taken from the message paraphrase. Uh, Philippians 4 says, um, whatever I have, wherever I am, I can make it through anything in the one who makes me who I am. Doesn't matter what you're going through. Doesn't matter what you've been through. Doesn't matter what you've done. Um, doesn't matter who you think you are. God loves you no matter what. And he will pull you out. You just have to let him. You have to relinquish control to him. And that's a hard thing to do. But I'm telling you, from my experience, once you get to the other side, once you realize um, that all of these things are true and that you can give your life to him um, and that he will love you no matter what, then you will feel so much more free. You will be able to focus on the things that are right and to put your life back together. So I'm going to leave it there. Thank you again for tuning in. Um, and I'm looking forward to sharing the next episode with you um, very soon. Thanks so much. Just want to give a shout out to Marty Michaels, who provided our intro and outro music for us for each episode. Check him out at martymichaels.com. That's Marty, M-A-R-T-Y, Michaels, M-I-K-L-E-S.com. He is a, a dear friend and a phenomenal musician, and you should definitely check out his work. Uh, so thanks, Marty, for providing the music for us.